Josh, come on up. Um, Grace City, we, we, we often say uh, our, our, our vision statement is to help people follow Jesus, to raise leaders, and to start new churches. And uh, by God's grace, we're, we're, we're tasting kind of the early parts of, of, of all of that. And uh, we've loved, even in this room, being able to baptize people a few months ago. We hope that we're going to be able to do that again uh, in the fall. Uh, we love seeing uh, leaders raised up in this church, whether it be life group leaders or people that are serving on Sundays or whatever it may be. And uh, we do believe that God's getting us ready someday to be starting new churches uh, in, in our country as well. But this morning, uh, kind of honing in on that raising leaders, uh, there's something very exciting that is happening, and that is that Josh is going to be here preaching. Many of you in the church will know Josh um, a little bit. Um, it's, it's not even been a year that you've been in the church, not even close to yet, is it? It's probably... Yeah, November. So what are we, kind of seven or eight months in? Not even that yet. But guys, let me tell you, Josh, is, uh, the way that God has used this man to help carry us forward as a church has been uh, significant. He leads our production team. He's going to be a life group leader in the fall. Uh, he's part of our preaching team as well. We collaborate on our sermon preparation uh, among the team. And uh, Josh has just been a gift to this church in many, many ways. So Josh, we love that you're here in Ottawa. Uh, we love that you're in this church, and we love that you're preaching uh, this morning. So, uh, church, can we welcome Josh and really receive what he has to say? Thank you. It's such a privilege to be able to speak here today. Um, I'll start by reading in Mark 15, uh, starting with verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lima shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Now in verse 16, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. They were alarmed, and he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they, uh, uh, where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had, and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. 
before I kind of get into uh, the main yeah, topic from today and into these verses, I've got a quick question. Does anyone here like mystery shows or mystery series? Very good, very good. Yeah, I am a big fan of this genre of television. Shows like Sherlock, Broadchurch, Wallander. It's just, the, yeah, the brilliant interwoven stories, the great dialogue, the intriguing characters. But more so as well, I really like the mysteries themselves. It's the crime occurs and the brilliant detective gets to work. They inter, er, interview various suspects, they search for clues, and the story starts to develop. The episodes go on, and the same thing always seems to happen. It's always that as more and more information comes out, it seems as though we know less and less. There, the uncertainty builds. There are too many suspects, there's contradicting evidence, and what we thought we knew, we don't. We're heading into the finale now, awaiting this satisfying twist in the end. Something to help it all make sense. Was it something that we saw yet overlooked? Was it something we don't know? There's something that is the key to understanding this mystery. In a similar way, we have been almost building like a mystery series over the last few weeks uh, in our journey through the series in Mark. We have seen that what started with political unrest and the tension is building has now erupted into Jesus on the cross. There's many things we've gone through. The Last Supper has occurred. Jesus has been betrayed. He has been mocked. He has been put in front of an unjust trial. The mob sent a murderer free a few weeks ago. We learned about Barabbas, how he went free And Jesus went in his place. In a similar way, Jesus went in our place on the cross. And this is Jesus, who we saw in the weeks before, performed miracles. He changed lives. Yet he is on the cross. He fed the 5,000. He healed the blind. He healed the lepers. He raised people back uh, to life. Now he is on the cross. A brutal form of execution created in order to instill fear into those who would think about performing a crime. So much has happened. So much has brought us to this point. With all this, though, one question comes to my mind. Why did he do this? Why was this done? Why did an innocent man need to die on the cross for the guilty? For sinners, even those who mocked him. Why did he do this? It does not make complete sense. This seems unfair. What was done that needed this tragedy to occur? To understand this, to understand, yeah, what is the twist? What is the key to understanding this mystery? We need to go back further. We need to look back before the events in the book of Mark. We need to go back to the very first book in the Bible to understand what happened in the beginning. In the Garden of Eden, what was done? What did Adam, the first man, do? The man created by God, what is set into motion, the event we're in now. Romans describes this well, Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, 
and death through sin. And so death spread to all man because all sinned. Man was created in the presence of God, created to have a relationship with God. But this all changed. One man's sin now sends us on this collision course to the cross. Death, judgment, and condemnation came through Adam's trespass. With his breaking of what God asked of him, not to eat of the fruit of the tree of good and evil, death came to all people. His trespass, his blatant disregard for what God asked of him. From then, death reigned. Not merely physical death, but an internal separation from God. But this trespass, this separation, is not the end of the story. In our scripture today, we read about Jesus' victory. We read about his obedience to God's will. The same obedience is brought up in Romans 5, where it talks about the obedience of one man was greater than the trespass of one man, in this case, the obedience of Christ and the trespass of Adam. Over the last weeks, we've seen Jesus voluntarily head to this point. We've seen his obedience through this voluntary actions, the unfair trial, the mockery, excruciating pain, nails through his hands, a crown of thorns on his head, and a back ripped open by whips. He obediently went through this, voluntarily brought himself to this point. But with all this physical pain, there's actually a deeper pain in which he is experiencing in this moment. We can see this by looking at verse 34, what Jesus said, Eloi, Eloi, lima shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's break this down. Is this Jesus calling out to God, asking why he is suffering on the cross? It may seem so on the surface, but no. This is actually the first verse of a psalm that was written a thousand years before Jesus died on the cross. Yet it is a verse about Jesus. This verse describes the mocking he received. It describes the piercing of his hands. It describes the dividing up of his clothes. It describes the excruciating physical pain that he suffered leading up to and on the cross. The psalm, though, gets to a deeper pain. This was not Jesus questioning why he was suffering on the cross, but rather this was a real and painful description of his separation from God at that moment. By taking on our sin, he was separated by God. What had separated us from God is what was then causing Jesus to be separated from God. This, however, is not merely a psalm of forsakenness. This is a verse that begin, may begin with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But all throughout it declares God's glory. Psalm 22, 3 to 5, we see it. Yet you are holy. Enthroned on the praises of Israel, in your fathers, uh, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. This describes God's holiness. It describes God's trustworthiness. 
it describes God's faithfulness. Later on in the psalm, it describes God's future victory, his dominion over all nations, and the declaration of his righteousness by all. And we see that the declaration of God's glory goes beyond just Jesus mentioning or just uh, describing the psalm in his final moments, goes beyond suffering. It's also, he declares it with his actions by obediently going to the cross, recognizing the separation from God that he would experience. Through this, he declared God's faithfulness. And this obedience continues right to the end. Well, we don't, uh, it's not here in the book of Mark. We read in, uh, in the book of Luke, Luke 23, 46, Then Jesus, calling out in a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Similar to the previous uh, statement that Jesus mentioned, we get a deeper understanding of Christ's love and his obedience by looking into it further. And again, this is a psalm. In this case, Psalm 31, verse 5. When we read through the first five verses, In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. This is a declaration of God's goodness, faithfulness, his strength. Throughout the Psalms, King David, the writer of it, is describing God's faithfulness. Jesus, upon his death, committed his spirit to his holy, loving, good, and faithful Father. In, through the suffering, in the moments of separation, at the point of death, he, his faith never wavers. How incredible is this? How often do we lose sight of God's faithfulness? Just focus on what's right in front of us? At times, they can be real great and painful things. But so often, it can be such small things. We just focus on what's in front of us. We think we're on our own. That's why it's just so incredible in this moment, through this excruciating moment, Jesus had resolute faith in God. He was not distracted by what was in front of him, but he knew what the Father was doing. Beyond the incredible, unwavering faith, Jesus did not only declare the goodness and faithfulness of God, he also fulfilled it on the cross. There was not merely death here. Something greater happened. As Jesus called out and gave his final breath, there was immense physical and spiritual implications. First, looking at the physical, Matthew 27, 50-53, we read, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtains of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook 
and the rocks were split, the tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. This event was literally earth-shattering. The earth shook, people came back from the dead. This was really big things. An earthquake itself would be a massive news story, but could you imagine the news coverage that people coming back to life would receive? But with all this, with all these incredible events, this actually wasn't the biggest thing that was occurring. The most astonishing event might be the temple curtain being torn in two. While it might not appear so on the surface, we need to look into this a bit deeper to understand its implications. The temple in this time was divided into two sides. On one side, the Holy of Holies, and the other side, the rest of the temple, and in between was a curtain. The the Holy of Holies, once a year, a priest could enter to make a sacrifice. But beyond that, no man could enter. There was a separation. Our iniquities... Our sins would not, uh, or what began with Adam, would not allow us to be in the presence of the God Most High. There was a divide between us and God. The temple was divided by this curtain, separating the two sections, a divide that could not be crossed, we could not enter. In the same way, however, there was a divide beyond the temple. There was a divide between us and God in the spiritual realm. This was described earlier. The implications of what Adam did. A separation began between us and God. This was not the end of the story, though. This all changed on the cross. The curtain was torn upon the death of Christ. This signified that the way to the Holy of Holies was open to mankind. Jesus, but as well, Jesus not only opened the way, He is the way. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The story doesn't end in death. As we saw in the latter part of the service, or the the scripture, Jesus rose again. When the three Marys went to the tomb, They were told, Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, has risen. He is not in the tomb. The stone was rolled away. They did not, he was not there. This was something so incredible. Even the disciples did not believe it when they heard. He was, he conquered death. He was victorious. He was obedient. It all makes sense now. Why would a good, innocent, holy son of God voluntarily suffer incredible torture, death, and separation from God? He did so obediently following God's will in order to close the divide between us and God. What started with the first man, our sin, our separation from God is not where we have to be. We now have the opportunity to be right in God's eyes, not by our actions, but by his obedience. If we believe, if we accept this gift, we can be saved. We see the representation of God's love 
the divide that was created by Adam's actions, the sin that was within us, our unrighteousness is not the end of the story. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And also in Romans 6.8, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. The obedience of Christ, following God's loving will, opened a way for us to be with God. For those of you in the room who do follow Jesus, this is a great reminder at the incredible love story that the Bible is, that what was done for us. And for those who yeah, don't yet know Jesus, just know that you are loved more than you can ever know by the God of the universe, a loving, incredible, holy Father. And the opportunity is there for you to accept this wonderful gift. If you'd like to know more, we'd love to talk to you, uh, with you about it. We'd love to pray with you about it. Yeah, we'd love to, for you to come up. What a wonderful gift we've been given. Let's pray.